You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Friday, September the 22nd, and a glorious day. Uh, the rain has ceased and the sun is out here in TW11. What's happening this weekend? Well, America, Parks gets their day in the sun. The Pennsylvania Derby and the Cotillion Stakes. In the UK, it is the Air Gold Cup, more of which later, and the Mill Reef Stakes. Can Mr. Sketch confirm himself the star two-year-old there? The Goffs Million is the big race in Ireland at the Curra. That's where Frankie de Tory has gone. But I would venture to suggest that the most important race anywhere in the world, uh, both for now and for the future, this weekend takes place in Australia. Jonathan Harding from the Racing Post is with me today. Jonathan, who is in Australia and why? So a certain Ryan Moore is over in Australia this weekend, and he's riding this hugely exciting horse, Coolmore horse, Shinzo, in the stallion-making race, the, the Group 1 Golden Rose for Chris Waller. He's gone over there for that ride, and he'll be joined by Jal Morera, of all people, who's uh, riding militarised for the yard as well. So a really exciting race. All right, then. Will you be able to see this race if you're in the UK or Ireland on Sky Sports Racing at 7 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning? Chris Waller, the Australian Hall of Famer, most successful Group 1 winning trainer down under, Royal Ascot winning trainer, trainer of Winks, two-handed in this, Moran Marrera aboard. I asked him to explain the significance of the Golden Rose. Hi, Nick. Yeah, it's a, it's a stallion-making race. We'd have four or five of them uh, each year in Australia. Uh, it's certainly one of them. And for our sake, it's our home track too. It's where Shinzo and Militarise are both trained. Um, both were their leading two-year-olds of their season last year. Uh, Shinzo, of course, winning the Golden Slipper, which is the holy grail of two-year-old racing, if not racing, here in Australia these days. And let's talk about them in, in turn. You've got a, a 10 draw with, with Shinzo. A uh, horse who is is pretty lightly raced, and as you say, just keeps getting better. That performance last time uh, in the Golden Slipper, he earned a, a massive international rating. In your considerable experience, is he worth that? Uh, he's the real deal. He's he's by the champion sire down here in Australia called Snitzel. He was out of a well, he is out of a Group One winning mare and some already, and. She's left other group performers, so he's a blue blood, and he's done it himself. So to get the rating to match the horse's pedigree, it was a big deal, and obviously a big a big coup for Cornwall, who are obviously all about making stallions. Has he got the the physical presence to now make up into a better horse as he's got a bit older? As he as he trained on fundamentally? Yeah, yeah, he has, Nick. As a two-year-old, he's what I would call a quite an immature colt, um, unfurnished. Uh, you could still see a bit of rib on him. So now that he's come back as three, you don't see the rib anymore. He's fit, but you don't see the rib. Uh, you see muscle, and he's really strengthened. He's a beautiful, scopy horse. He's not your what you might see regard as an Australian sprinter. He's a really 
classic horse who's obviously got speed. So he's got the good looks um, and he's got uh, a few things going for him. But what I see in your other horse, Militarize, is a horse who, you know, might have needed his run on his comeback, potentially. Am I, am I putting words in your mouth in the, in the James Squire run to the Rose? Yeah, so his two Group 1 wins at two with a size produce over 1,400 and the Champagne over a mile. They're both Group 1 races. Um, he's by a, a very good racehorse in Dundee who's making making a name for him at stud and he was more a 2,000 metre horse so he's bred to get that mm. mile distance so he's more your guineas type so for him to run as well as he did over 1,200 I thought was pretty exciting plus he carried a, a penalty for being that dual group one winner and it was of course only 1,200 metres he had a wide draw we went back they sprinted home he wasn't beaten fast so it was a good pipe opener without um, without blowing him apart and and so when you when you see them both line up over seven, you know one's a really fast horse, the other one maybe wants a little bit longer on, on good turf. How do you see them? How do you see them finishing? On good turf, I would have a slight leaning towards Shinzo, uh, which which is what it'll be tomorrow. We've had a very dry winter in Sydney, and the spring um, is dry as well. Obviously, we're just just in it now, but. Um, and we even had 34 degree day here in Sydney this wow. week where we've just come out of winter. So it gives you an idea um, how dry we are and the ground will be quick. So slight leaning towards Shinzo because of that. Um, Chris, obviously it won't be long until we're thinking about the, the, the Melbourne Carnival and, and the Cup. And there's been quite a bit of chatter here, not just about uh, Solcombe and one or two of your other horses but what horse Frankie Dettori might get on and that you might be interested in trying to get him on one is that still a project that your team are pursuing? It sure is yeah it's been amazing we got Frankie out to ride uh, in Sydney uh, last November and he, he did a great job um, and then he's, then he announced his retirement and he just what what he's done over the last six months has just been amazing for racing amazing for himself and it's just left the legacy that we'll all remember um so yeah we get our we get our chance to see him down in down in australia um we're still working out riders obviously we've got to give solid support to our riders that are here 52 weeks of the year but i can assure you frankie will be on a couple of hours through cup week um, so our main two horses at the moment, as you mentioned, was Solcombe. He runs tomorrow in an 1,800-metre race. That's how we do things down here in Australia. We're just gradually building distances. And he was a William Haggis horse who did a pretty good job over there as well. And um, he settled into Australia well. And our other main chance would be Francesco Gardi. He was from James Ferguson's yard. And he's got all the right credentials as well so they're our leading two at the moment for the Melbourne Cup. I thought William Haggis did a lovely job handicapping him for you as well you must thank him for that every day don't you? Yeah he's a great <laughs> man, great trainer and the nur- the nursery that England and Ireland uh, provide to Australia is second to none, the way, they, way the trainers educate, the way the trainers look after their horses um a few Aussies could go over there and learn a thing or two on on how it's done right, and I still like to get there myself and polish up as well. So we're in awe of how how the English and Irish train, 
uh, and it's a big part to a big big part of Australia's tapestry as well in terms of these staying races. Well, I like to think we all learn from each other, and uh, we love making the world a smaller place on this podcast. So, Chris, I'm very grateful for your time today. Thanks so much, and best of luck at the weekend. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was uh, Chris Waller, uh, one of the world's foremost trainers and a man always learning his craft. No, absolutely. And when you think about the sort of top echelon of trainers, they all have that in common, don't they? A desire to keep keep learning and keep finding new edges and angles that will keep them where they are. And it was quite interesting to hear him refer to Britain and Ireland as this wonderful nursery. I mean, a little bit worrying if it would become too much of a nursery, but encouraging that Britain and Ireland still are viewed as the standard, really, for the preparation of these young horses that then go all over the world. And Chris Wall is a good example of, or a good sort of symptom of the fact that the racing world is getting that much smaller. Um, and he's somebody who's capitalised a lot with runners at Royal Ascot and all over. So, yeah, he's a, a hugely impressive guy. And I'm sure there's some British and Irish trainers that would be able to learn a great deal from him as well. And I suppose the encouraging thing is, yes, people worry about a talent drain of horses from these shores to Australia and Hong Kong and elsewhere. And obviously the Middle East is taking up a huge proportion of horses by number now out of horses in training. But if it is still recognised by people like Chris Waller, that this is the place to raise them, graze them, prepare them and train them before they go there, then that market remains buoyant and people can still make a make a significant business the worry is if all of these assets are taken and australia develop a homegrown product for milers middle distance horses and beyond that actually exceeds the talent that is produced on these shores but at the moment the system seems to be working quite symbiotically yeah, and as long as it, as you say, as long as it remains a symbiotic relationship, we've spoken about this before about the export of horses, and it was put to me once that it sort of does live and die with the stallions. As long as the UK and Ireland still has the best breeding stock, it's going to be in a position where it can retain enough to maintain its own racing product, and we have all these issues with prize money and everything else, while also being able to capitalise on the fact that these other jurisdictions need our horses. Um and it's nothing new, Britain and Ireland being a selling jurisdictions as well as buying and um, as well as developing and buying jurisdictions. Um, but it's a it's a careful balance. You wouldn't want to, as you say, go too far the other way, whereby we lose too many horses in certain brackets and the whole thing becomes a little bit imbalanced. But I'd say Chris Waller's stamp of approval would certainly go a long way for uh, um, our confidence. All right, so we know where Ryan Moore is this weekend. He's at Rose Hill riding Shinzo. Where is Frankie Dottori? He's at the Curra riding for Aidan O'Brien in the Goffs Million. Big day for the auction house because they announced yesterday that they were about to uh, put under the hammer a, a bunch of exquisitely bred broodmares owned by the Niarkos family. Uh, more of which in a moment. But I started off by talking to their group chief executive, Henry Beebe, about tomorrow's race and about how it's evolving. Well, we reintroduced the Goss Million uh, at our sale two years ago, the, the Orbi sale, which is the Irish national yearling sale. And the Goss Million is Europe's richest two-year-old race. It was won by Charlie Hill's trained Galeron last year. Uh, I'm, I'm in much excitement. Uh, the race was worth €1,234,000 last year. Uh, and tomorrow it'll be worth €1,232,000, so 616 
thousand euro uh, to the to the winner. Um, and then how is it how's evolving is uh, attached to this year's sale, which is next week. Uh, so next year's race, we have now introduced the Goffs Two Million Series. So uh, the horses sold next week, the yearlings sold next week as two-year-olds next year will be qualified when they sell for the Goss Million, which is the million euro seven furlong race run of the car on the eve of the next year's sale. The Goss 500, which is a six furlong 500,000 euro race run on the same day at the Curra. And the Goss 50,000 euro bonus series, which means that we will have a series of two-year-old maidens in Ireland from the start of the season up to million day. Uh, a total of 10 50,000 euro bonus can be won if... Uh, that two-year-old winner came from the Orby sale next week. And we've we've converted the Orby sale and the Sportsman sale into Orby Book 1 and Orby Book 2, so we'll offer around a 1,000 uh, yearlings next week who will qualify. Yeah, we'll be with you at the Orby sale next week, so plenty of coverage there. I want to cast our eye a little further down to November uh, to the, the breeding stock sale and this extraordinary dispersal of, uh, of broodmares from one of the most established breeders anywhere in, in global bloodstock, the, the Niarchos family in Flaxman Holdings. What, what's brought that about, Henry? Well, I, as I understand it, the Niarchos family are going through a restructuring of their ownership. Um, so there's obviously, it, the Niarchos family is obviously a large family and they've decided they'd like to restructure. So they're keen to point out it isn't a dispersal, uh, but it is a restructuring. But it is a simply mouth-watering group of blue-blooded uh, broodmares. I mean, there's there's a four-time winning classic winner. Uh, there's four group one, five group one winners in total. Involved the likes of Dubawi to Frankel to see the stars. And I would say, you know, this would grace any breeding stock catalogue in the world. Um, and it's certainly the best group of broodmares we've had since the days of when we handled the sale for Paul Makin, the Paul in sale, and David Wildenstein back in well, ten, ten and ten and seven years ago. Um, but they, they, they've been in touch with us a little while ago to talk about it. We've been discussing it for a little while, and we are thrilled and honoured to be handling uh, this. I mean, it's, I mean, the Niarchos family is probably one of the preeminent and owner breeders in the world over the last 50 years, all of my career. Um, and it's up there with, you know, Judmond, the Aga Khan, Godolphin and Kulmore. I mean, they're just, they're just wonderful breeders. And this, op- this represents a quite unique opportunity to buy into these amazing bloodlines that have been nurtured uh, over the last half century. Yeah, Alpine Star and Alpha Centauri and so many more. I mean, a lot of them, if not household names, at least very familiar. And you go back through those pedigrees and see some of the great horses uh, in recent generations, the likes of Miesk and Six Perfections and Denabola and Divine Proportions and so on. So yeah, it's a wonderful opportunity to see some, some high-class stock changing hands. Henry, thanks so much. Looking forward to seeing you next week. See you next week, Nick. Thank you. Well, all of the superstars that we've name-checked on the show so far will be uh, represented in the Prix de Lac de Triomphe, which is coming upon us remarkably quickly. will take place uh, next Sunday, of course, in the Bois de Boulogne in Longchamp. And uh, the chief executive of France Gallo, Olivier Delois, joins me on the line now. Uh, Olivier, how is Paris? How's the weather in Paris? And how's the track looking in, in Longchamp? Um, we had some rain yesterday. We had the, like 17 millimeters of rain yesterday. So the track this morning was very soft, uh, but there is no rain forecast for, for the coming week. Uh, not very high temperatures and, and no big wind. So uh, we think that the, uh, the, the ground will be good to soft or, or soft, but probably better than, uh, than it was in the last couple of years. Yeah, when you've had to face a, a deluge right on on race day as well, how how 
how much of a, a kind of personal project for for you has the has the pretty luck the off been in terms of sort of getting people back after the pandemic um, getting the new grandstand bedded in and really asserting the race's place in in the world really well, obviously, the arc has always been the, the really the highlight of the racing season here in France. It's uh, that's a big final for for the best uh, horses uh, trained in in Europe, attracting even some Japanese horses. So um, it's always a big thing for 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 the whole team to uh, to get ready for for the arc. Uh, we are now getting used, obviously, to uh, to the new grandstands and the new facilities. So it's not like uh, in the first years. So. We, we we can approach the event uh, more uh, comfortably than uh, than in than in the past, uh, but still there is always uh, a lot of positive pressure ahead of a big event like that. And and how much do you do you think prize money matters when you're when you're looking at huge pots around the world? When you look at what's on offer in in the Middle East and you know, Australia, we heard from Chris Waller today. Their prize money keeps going up and up and up. How important is it for you to make sure that the Ark has a has a has a big pot to maintain its international position? Well, I mean, it it does matter a lot. Uh, uh, thanks to our sponsor, the Qatar, uh, we are um, able to uh, to distribute five million. Uh, worth of prize money in the arc itself and and over 10 million euros in total for the three days of racing including the the, the friday races at saint Louis sponsored by the crack um so it does matter a lot uh, i think the arc would have probably not been uh, the, the top rated uh, race five times since uh, 2015 uh, in the official rankings if uh, if we didn't have that sort of prize money to uh, to offer, so mm. uh, and and uh, and as you say, I mean we we, we have to uh, to keep competitive. Uh, there is new big races uh, in the Middle East with uh, incredible prize money. Uh, there's the Breeders' Cup. There's so many uh, big events at the end of the year um, that we are competing with. Olivier, this is your your final uh, pre de triomphe as chief executive of of France Gallo before you you head back to Arcana, the sales company. Uh, what would be a dream result for you this year? Uh, because it will be um, also the um, the last arc for Frankie, uh, and that's that's a much bigger loss for racing than my last arc. Uh, so the, I think the dream result would be uh, to see Frankie win a seventh arc uh, and say uh, goodbye to uh, to the French uh, French audience uh, with with such uh, uh, an exploit and, and, and a seventh victory. Uh, he's already the record man uh, with six wins, uh, so that would be uh, quite fantastic. Um, you go back to Arcana, as I say. I I hadn't quite realised you'd been eight years at, uh, at France Gallo. What would you like your your legacy to to have been? Well, it's been really eight. I mean, eight very exciting years. Uh, that eight years can correspond to two full mandates alongside the chairman Eduardo Rothschild. Uh, and I must say, I enjoyed uh, really every minute uh, of this. Uh, eight years despite some the sometimes very high level of pressure that we we have uh with that sort of position um i, I think i'm i would be quite proud uh when leaving to to have led the team who has redeveloped longchamp 
has launched new successful racing events like the Thursday night sessions at Paris Longchamp. Um, quite happy to have reached the uh, highest level of prize money ever distributed in France. Uh, so just below the 290 million euros mark, uh, which is quite uh, remarkable, I think. And, and, and quite proud, I must say, to have achieved the uh, economic turnaround of France Gallo uh, and despite the years of COVID. So, I mean, I think I, I will leave uh, France Gallo in, um, in, in, in a much better situation than uh, the France Gallo I could find when I, when I joined uh, early uh, 2016. That was Olivier Delois, Chief Executive of France Gallo. Now, you'll have heard us earlier in the week discussing the case of trainer Tim McCarthy and the horse Mind Your Own Business. Uh, Jonathan Harding from the Racing Post rejoins me. How did this case land up Wednesday night, Jonathan? Yeah, so uh, Tim McCarthy was handed the maximum fine of £3,000 by the disciplinary panel, um, basically having been found to have fallen below acceptable horse welfare standards. Uh, so that's a breach of rule D1 in British racing, for those who like the specifics of it all failing to take all reasonable steps to ensure the safety and welfare of every horse in its care at all times. Now, just as a bit of background, if people hadn't listened earlier in the week, uh, it relates to a horse called Mind Your Own Business, who suffered a broken shoulder when falling on his third run after a, a pretty lengthy absence at Lingfield on April the 10th, 2021. Now, the detail of this case that's important is we had evidence from Martin Dwyer, who said that there was something seriously wrong with Mind Your Own Business the second time he rode him, so the horse's uh, penultimate start before that fatal injury. And the, the panel found that um, essentially he hadn't prepared the horse properly um, after that lengthy absence. We had uh, BHA's Director of Equine Regulation, James Given, saying that the fatal injury was, quote, not uncommon for horses whose skeletons had not been conditioned strong enough in training. Um, so that was the maximum fine handed out to him for that situation. Um, and it was Kieran Fallon was also involved in this. He was the jockey on board when that fatal injury occurred. And he suffered an injury as well, suffered ligament and soft tissue damage to his collarbone, as well as muscle spasms in his back. So that's the conclusion of that case um, was with the fine being handed out to Tim McCarthy. In addition, it raises some interesting questions, Jonathan, this case about the role of the regulator in establishing best practice in training horses. I suggested to Jane Mangan the other day that I didn't think there was much upside in allowing a horse on the track who hasn't run for four and a half years. And she made the perfectly reasonable point that you have to trust people that you license to maintain best practice. Um, but in this case, clearly, the panel has found that that, that has not been the case. Um, it's it's complex, and it, it boiled down, I think, to the witness statements being believed, to the panel believing the two key witnesses in this case and uh, not believing Tim McCarthy. No, you're right, and, and the regulator has to put some faith in its participants. It can set as many rules as it likes, but at the end of the day, it's not the BHA preparing these horses to run. Um, it's not them assessing the sort of whether they are fit enough but they have to put certain thresholds in place to try and avoid situations like this and i think the evidence was such that this horse given what they 
given what um, was said about the horse before that fatal injury, there were enough grounds that to perhaps reconsider running the horse that third time. Let's talk about John Dance and the reasons why the British Horse Racing Authority decided to uh, stop his horses or horses that he has been involved with through either Titanium Racing or, or Coverdale Stud from running. Yeah, so uh, John Dancer's horses have been suspended from running due to concerns raised within its integrity department about uh, alleged non-payment of funds to Titanium Racing Club members. Um, this is some reporting from Pete Scargill on certainly on an understands basis. It's not been confirmed. So the BHA blocked horses, as, as we've discussed before, from running under the banner of Coverdale Stud as well as Titanium Racing Club, which has been backed by Dance. Uh, due to what they call further concerns. Now, this isn't linked to the FCA investigation into dance. And of course, dance hasn't commented on that. And Titanium Racing Club haven't commented on this situation. But the concerns about non-payment are understood to relate to the sale of a horse called Sacred Angel by the racing club to Nerlan Buzikov in July and the dissemination of any proceeds to those involved in the club. So it's, it's sort of a tangent to this wider situation relating to John Dance but I, I think an important one um, and it does seem to be a separate issue to that FCA investigation this is about an alleged non-payment of funds as we understand. Well, news just coming through this morning in the in the German press but it hasn't hit the, the news headlines here yet that Thor Hammer Hansen who's forged a, a really impressive career in the UK but has also been doing quite a bit uh, back in his uh, his native Germany recently, is on the move on a more permanent basis. And he joins me now. Thor, what's the latest? Yes, so uh, obviously it got published yesterday um, on the German news. Um, it's sort of been talked about around Newmarket, but um, everything's been signed now. And I'm very pleased to have um, formed a partnership with uh, one of the biggest owners out there, Mr. Sauren, um, who I've had great success with this and last year. And um, obviously it's going to be a, a permanent thing now. Okay, so when are you going to move? Where are you going to move to exactly? And what sort of horses can you look forward to riding? Um, I will be starting uh, the contract on the 1st of November, but I will obviously be moving a couple of weeks before that just to sort out... Um, a house and, and small things like that. Um, Mr. Sauron has uh, very good horses. He always has done. Um, and he seems to be investing a lot of money in, in getting the right sort of animals. So um, there's, there's plenty to look forward to. But in particular, um, assistant who will be running in the group one in Cologne on Sunday. Um, he's been a very solid performer over the last two years. And um, he's probably the highlight. And how do you reflect on your on your time in the UK and the career that you forged here? I think I've been pretty lucky to to be aboard some some very good horses, and uh, obviously the standouts being Curly Leon win the Ascot Stakes at Royal Ascot and uh, the recent win in the Sherlock Cup uh, with Perotto. But um, you know, from from the very start, I was lucky to be with the right people in in Richard Hannon, and um, I seem to have been lucky enough to win a, a couple of decent handicaps. And it's an interesting crossroads because it seems that this season, particularly, your profile has just started to really pick up again and you're going to get a bit of traction and then suddenly you get the offer to go were you were you at all in two minds or was it simply too good to refuse um i think it's a case of i had so much success in in germany last year and i obviously got offered a couple of jobs out there last year and um 
it just seems to have progressed from from last year to this year out there and um, the office just kept coming in um, and as I mentioned the, the Sherga Cup winner was obviously a highlight and I was just hoping to pick up a little bit on the back of that but it didn't really seem to happen and um, once Mr Selwyn then um, got in touch and explained to me what what he had in in mind um, it was just simply too good to refuse he's he's um, he's a very big owner he's very loyal and uh, as I said he pumps a lot of money into the sport and he wants to make sure that he's got the best horses so it was just uh, a case of when when we start really I wish you all the very best thanks so much for chatting to me thank you very much all right, well, it is the Air Gold Cup tomorrow, one of the, the great showpiece sprint handicaps of the British racing season. And if you were listening to me earlier in the week, you'll have heard me paying tribute to the career and great CV of the top weight, Summergand. And indeed, it was right that I should have highlighted that. But there's a lot of horses in this race that you could um, give similar bouquets to. And one of them is Mr. Wagyu. Eight years old, he's going to have his 81st start. He is seeking his 16th victory. He's won nearly £300,000 in win and place prize money. He's run in every big sprint handicap going and has been placed in most of them and has won a whole hatful as well. And he's owned by the New Century Partnership, which is pulled together by, by Gary Oxtoby, who's with me now. Um, Gary, is it, is it fair to say that Mr Wagyu has given you pleasure you couldn't really have dreamt of? Yeah, I think you're right, Nick. I mean, we never we don't buy very expensive horses and... Um, it was a bargain buy at, at 26,000 and we never really dreamed that he would scale these heights. We, you know, when he was a five-year-old, we were in class sixes, class fives, Richard, 68, 70. And then his career took off as a six-year-old and yeah, it just stunned us really with what he did. And now we're, we're at all the big events and he's, he's keeping going. He's never, his form's never really dipped since he won the consolation race at, at Goodwood two years ago. And we, we, we are used to John Quinn being able to, to keep these older horses going and to you know, keep them holding their form. But he's even confounded me with this one because I thought I knew exactly where I stood with the old Wagyu until he turned into a good horse. Yeah, yeah, we, we were the same, you know, and we kept, we kept plugging away with him. You know, we thought he was going to progress as a four-year-old and he never did. But John's, John and his team have, have worked a miracle, really, with him. And he, they, it's his 81st run on Saturday. And that's credit to John, keeping him right, um, keeping him going. And I can't really see him uh, the way he enjoys his racing. And I can't really see him stopping, really. So, you know, it might hit the 100 mark. Who knows? Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about the New Century Partnership and how you guys all, all came together. Yeah, well, we started, I mean, it's a long time ago now. We started in 2005, um, a group of friends from school. Um, and over the years, we, we've sort of had horses that weren't very good and one or two members dropped out. And then we got a core of four of us about, would it be eight years ago? And we've stayed together. So, you know, we're, there's four of us in the syndicate. And, um, yeah, we've, we've um, stuck together as a team um, and enjoyed all the success that he's brought us. And obviously, Mr. Wagyu, people will want to know why he's named. Some people know, others might not. For those who, for the, for those who don't know, just tell us. <laughs> yeah, well, he's one of the guys in the syndicate, Jim Bloom. He has a business um, called Warrendale Wagyu, um, one of the biggest suppliers of Wagyu meat in the country. And he wanted some advertising. And we were sat in his kitchen when we bought this horse as a yearling and, and I just said look let's call him Mr Wagyu and then you've got a bit of advertising he also sponsors the horses as well um, so yeah so it's, it's, it's down to that whether it works or not I don't know <laughs> the advertising probably does um, but yeah 
I mean, it's a bit of a strange thing because Mr. Wagyu, Wagyu means Japanese cow, so it's Mr. Japanese cow, which is a bit of a strange translation. But <laughs> as a name, it seems it seems to work as a name. <laughs> to, to be honest, Gary, as long as they can run fast, and it clearly is working because he's 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 getting thou- literally thousands of pounds worth of free advertising right now as we speak, Mr. Warren Dale Wagyu. Yeah, yeah. Well, he is. He is, and yeah. But we need some recompense. I think <laughs> we need. <laughs> A day out somewhere, treated by Warren Del Wagyu. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, but, but he's yeah, good I, set of guys. We've got a good set of guys. Yeah. He he has won an absolute stack of races, and he's won some lovely races as well. And he's taken you to Epsom on Derby Day and won there. And he's been placed at Royal Ascot, and he's won the consolation race for the Stewards Cup, and he's been placed in that, and he's won at York. What he hasn't yet won is what is one of these kind of real big you know, jewels in the sprint handicapping crown, like a Wokingham, a Stewards Cup, an Air Gold Cup. He's been placed in all of them. Could he do it? Could he do it? Yeah, personally, I think he can. Um, And he's been, he was third two years ago to Bielsa, and then he was fifth last year to Summergand. And he's been, he's had seven trips to where he's won two of them, or eight lower classes. Um, But he's never been out of the top five when he's gone to where he loves air. I mean, we we were very hopeful in the Stewards Cup, and the, the loose horse did a, didn't do us any favours on that day, and we finished two lengths behind Abrahama Gold, and we thought he was going to do it that day. Um, the, he's, he's in good nick at home. I personally think he's got a big chance. He'll run, he'll run a good race, and yeah, he probably draws. His draws good as well. I think you never know, do you? But it could work out to be a good draw as well. And he doesn't seem to mind a bit of soft ground these days either. No, no, we always pitched him in at good to firm ground in his early career. And as he's got older, you know, we were surprised when he won the consolation race at Goodwood. The, the heavens opened and the going changed to soft and we were all a bit doom and gloom. And then he, he put in one of his best performances ever to win that. And then we sort of thought, well, as he's got older, he appreciates that digging the ground, that sort of giving the ground. So, yeah, he, he won't mind the soft going at all. All right, that was Gary Oxtoby, the man lucky enough to be a part owner of the wonderful Mr. Wagyu. Jonathan Harding is with me. Uh, do you have a, 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 a fancy for the Air Gold Cup this weekend, Jonathan? Well, like everyone, I have a few. And the more I read from connections, the more muddied the waters become because it is, it's always a competitive race. We're straying into cliche, but it does look particularly competitive this year. It's very difficult to get a handle on it. But if my tip, I think, at this stage, and this might change, would be for significantly uh, for Julie Camacho. Obviously, a yard that's had a fantastic season uh, anyway, but he's just been wonderfully consistent significantly. Ran a good race in the Stewards' Cup on, as we know, in fairly biblical rain, heavy ground. Obviously, only beaten a short head in the Portland turning around relatively quickly from that. But I, I think significantly he's going to have a very good chance. And a word also for last year's winner, Summerhand, obviously has to uh, overcome a fair bit of history and becoming a first bat-to-bat winner in a, an incredibly long time, but always runs fantastically well and always peaks at this time of year. So you wouldn't put it past him either. Well, I think Rohan, if he doesn't run a big race tomorrow, I'm I'm giving up the game. He is... He's, I think he's drawn around the pace, so he's got something to run at and chase. Looks like he needs every bit of the six now, strongly run six. He'll love soft ground. He just hasn't had a race suitable for him this season. He's either been running in group ones or the handicaps he's running where he's run blinds have both been over five furlongs. He's, he's got to go well. Um, for David Evans, 
I think Ben Curtis gets the sit on Rohan tomorrow. All right. Well, we heard quite a bit about National Racehorse Week while it was taking place uh, seven days ago. What we haven't done is kind of really wrap up the success stories from this terrific venture from uh, Great British Racing. I'm joined by uh, Tim Vaughan now, well-known trainer in in Wales, who was very much uh, at the forefront of National Racehorse Week. Uh, Tim, it was, a, I gather, a huge success from your, your point of view. Just tell us a little bit about how your team got involved. Yeah, morning, Nick. Yes, um, it, it was. It really went smoothly for us. I, I just got really behind it this year, and we we offered um, uh, well, we put an offering on for anyone who wanted to come and see the horses get involved. But to make it more of a family day, so they f- brought the kids along. So again, the younger generation, we decided to open it up a little bit. And we put like a craft fair on and bouncy castles, bucking bronco rides, uh, food stalls, and the like. And it just it just gave a good compliment to it all. So we we had about a thousand. Uh, come through the doors on the day uh, they came in, they had this display of the horses on the gallops then over schooling jumps and then we sort of shuffled them all into our, what we call our bottom yard where we had everything else for them to uh, keep entertained but you know, the purpose of the whole week was to uh, show to the public and open the doors and say look this is how we care for these lovely animals, uh, help yourselves enjoy them as much as we do meet the staff, ask your questions and yeah it was a, it was a splendid success Really. I mean, that's a tremendous turnout. Did that exceed your expectations? Well, to be fair, the the Sally from Great British Racing had been sort of uh, keeping me abreast of numbers, and she's. I rang her about I don't know six weeks before the day, and we'd sort of opened her up, and she said, "Oh, we've got four fifty on the list." She said, "There's no, no other yard with as many people as you." I said, "Gee whiz!" So I said, "Right, I tell you what I'll do now. I'll I'll hit it hard if I've got that sort of numbers, and that's really what gave me the the spirit really to do the you know the bucking broncos and track the rides and uh, and the entertainment and the singers and the like and." All of a sudden, it went from 450 up. Yeah, to, to well, I actually think we had about 1100 actually through the day, but I, I keep it at a thousand for simple figures. So, um, yeah, it, it certainly did exceed aspirations, but it was all in a good cause. And I felt, um, I felt quite passionate about you know, try, trying to drive it forward. And I know every jumps trainer is in good form at this time of year. You sounded particularly fine, fettled Tim. Yes, uh, to be fair, we've had a great summer. We're excited to get going. My uh, my eldest son, Ed, is ready to go. We got his Carrier uh, amateur license out recently. He is absolutely mad keen. Um, I got Alan Johns, or Jovial Johns, as I now call him, uh, in the yard pushing forward. We've got a good bunch of staff. We've got a good bunch of horses, plenty of new stock. I'm excited. Yeah, probably, you know, truth be told, I'm, 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 I'm quite invigorated about it all and uh, excited to get going. I'm amazed that Alan Johns has got any time to come in and ride out between his commitments at the Cannes Film Festival and Sundance where he'd be premiering his new his new movies. He's only going to Cannes because I'm going with him, you know. I hold his hand in all these ventures. But Alan and I have got a wonderful relationship. He came to me as a £10 claimer. He'd been riding in the Welsh Pond Point scene. I uh, saw him. I, I loved his sort of style of riding. I nurtured him to, to what I really like. And more than that, he's, he, he's a best pal now. We work extremely well together. We've started up, you know, little ventures, other businesses, 
you know together to help him uh, at the latter stages of his of his you know when he when he wants to retire from race and he's been older so we've got other things for him to move on to and it's just been a good journey with him so you know we're in he's riding out all morning he's in the office most afternoons with us and we've got a good rapport and um uh we've got a good rapport uh, you know and it work, works for everyone really it's really really good and we're really happy and uh, he's in a good place and and you know the horses thrived last year which is what it's all about lovely stuff tim thanks so much all the best for the season thanks nick good to catch you cheers then cheers, thank bye. you all right that was tim vaughan thanks to him and to all my many guests today beginning with chris waller uh jonathan harding has been with me throughout uh jonathan uh have you got a tip for me I do indeed. It's in the 335 at Newbury today and the horse is Blue Lemons. So he's in here with a stable mate who's slightly more fancied in the market, Houston. But I was really impressed with Blue Lemons' debut win at Leicester over seven uh, on soft ground. It's going to be fairly testing conditions there, I'd imagine, today. I don't think the step up to a mile is going to be any problem for him at all. And Tom Marquand in the saddle is always a bonus. So that's Blue Lemons in the 3.35 at Newbury. All right, Jonathan, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. If you do enjoy this podcast, please do tell your friends, most importantly. Uh, but also, if you could give us a, a review and a rating wherever you consume your podcast, we would all be incredibly grateful. Don't forget, Charlotte will be back here from 9 o'clock tonight with a roundup of all the best interviews leading into the weekend's action. Uh, and I will be back with you bright and early on Monday. Have a wonderful weekend wherever you are in the world. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.